So tonight, the verses that we're going to be looking at, uh, talking about submission, talking about submission. And so the title of tonight's message is just simply submit, submit if you're a note taker. And we're going to be looking at two things tonight, two points uh, as we look through our verses of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 20. Our first point is uh, to the institution, to the institution. And our second point of the night is to the master, to the master. So we're going to be looking at submission. So uh, let's just read our verses again as we um, go into our first point. Uh, we're going to read verses uh, 13 through 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, so as we look at our first point, uh, submitting to the institution. So verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So the key thing uh, from these verses uh, to, is to understand what's the motivation behind this statement, this thing that Peter is writing. What's, what's the heart behind the statement that's being made in these verses? And that's important, what, what the heart is. Uh, if you can recall the story of uh, when David was selected to become king of Israel, um, God sent the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse, and Samuel told Jesse that the Lord said, the new king of Israel is going to come from one of your sons. And so Jesse trotted his sons out before Samuel, because they, they, he didn't know who, neither did Samuel. So he brought out his sons. And the first son that he brought out, uh, Samuel was like, oh, this has to be it. Like, this has to be the guy. Um, and he brought out his oldest son. The guy must have been, you know, tall, dark, and handsome. Or, or at very least, he just looked kingly, like he looked like a king. Um, but the Lord told Samuel, like, no, nah, that's... This is actually, these are his words. He said, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. God wasn't looking at how tall or buff or handsome or whatever that these guys looked. He was looking at the heart, the thoughts and intentions of a person and not so much the outward appearance, which is what we tend to look at as human beings. So the intentions or the heart behind the statement that Peter is making in these verses is A, for the Lord's sake. That's, that's one of the, the heart things. It's for the Lord's sake in verse 13, and B, for the Lord's will in verse 15. The heart of the statement that Peter is making is that it's for the Lord's sake and for the Lord's will. And the statement is this, submit yourselves to every human institution, whether it's to kings or to governors. The goal is that we, as believers, would be submissive to the human institution that is in place here in our country, in our state, in our county, in our city, etc. And in this way, we would be examples of wise behavior to those who would otherwise try to claim that we're just like a rebellious kind of people. So what does this mean practically, though? Like, what, is, what does this mean for us now? It means that we are all examples of law-abiding citizens, 
respectful of our governing authorities, as much as you may not want to hear that. We don't steal. We don't lie on our taxes. We obey traffic laws, as, much, as, as hard as it is to do that sometimes. We obey traffic laws. We are the people, as Christians, who will be following the laws of the land and honoring those in authority. Peter says that this will include people who are leaders of the highest authority and those who are the enforcers of the laws of the land. So this also includes law enforcement officers. I know that currently in our culture, uh, it's cool and acceptable to, uh, to treat law enforcement like they're worthless and less than human, but that's not how we are to behave as believers. We're to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So let's take a look at some examples. So rather than provide examples from our world, let's look at some examples from the Bible of, of, of this thing. So let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. So in Matthew 22, as you turn there, the religious leaders, they're sick of Jesus, as they often were. Uh, they've been trying to get him to slip up on something he says or does so that his credibility would be ruined. So they try to catch him with a catch-22 in Matthew 22. So let's read verses 15 through 22 in Matthew 22. Matthew 22, starting in verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? Let's just take a break really quickly. Let's understand what's happening here. The Israelites, the common people, not, not so much the religious leaders, the, the, the ones that are kind of like in a, in a good political position, but the Israelites, they hate the Romans because the Romans are occupying their land. They're occupying and ruling over them. The Pharisees, they ask Jesus a yes or no question regarding paying taxes to this Roman government that the Israelites hate. And the answer, the yes or no, there are huge implications. So if Jesus says, yes, you ought to pay taxes to Rome, then the people would see Jesus as a Rome sympathizer and they would just be like, all right, I'm, we're done with this guy. We don't like him. He's, 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 he's cool with the Romans. That means he's cool with them occupying us Israelites. But if Jesus says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Rome, then the Pharisees, they're going to turn him in and to the Roman authorities because he's going against Rome. So and either, either answer, yes or no, he's kind of in a bad spot. But let's read how Jesus responds. Verse 18. But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? Who, who is on this coin? Who does it look like? And they said to him, Caesar. And then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. So Jesus basically says, the money is Rome's to begin with. It's not yours, it's Rome's. You wouldn't have the money if it wasn't for Rome, and it even has the Roman leader's face on it. So since it's all Rome's, 
Just get, you give them what rightfully belongs to them anyway. Everything else, give to God. Similar to us nowadays, the money that we have is, is not something that we created. We didn't create these dollar bills. The government created it, like actually created it, especially nowadays. I mean, like their printers are working overtime right now with all the money that they're printing for everybody's stimulus checks and their unemployment benefits. The money's worthless at this point, just so you guys know. The money that we have, is, it doesn't, it's not worth anything. But it's getting printed anyway. Anyway, but if, if it were not for the government, if it were not for the government creating the currency, we'd be trading and bartering, right? I'd be giving you some blueberries. I'd be giving Alan some blueberries, you know, to give me his leather jacket. And he would give me his leather jacket because he loves blueberries. He loves blueberries that much that he would give me his leather jacket. Oh, he's saying no. Okay, never mind. <laughs> But it's not really our money, this money that we have. We didn't make it. We didn't create it. So Jesus is saying pay taxes because they're simply demanding we give back to them what is theirs to begin with anyway. So, of course, we can have philosophical discussions about whether or not it's morally right to, to have taxes and to pay taxes and all that stuff. But Jesus didn't bother with these philosophical discussions. He didn't. The fact is, if you want to participate in the economy... You need money. And if you have money, it's going to be taxes. Otherwise, go back to trading and bartering. No one is stopping anybody from trading and bartering. I just tried to get a leather jacket for some blueberries. It didn't work. But if you have money, there's going to be taxes. So there's one instance in Matthew 22. There's one instance where we see submission to the human institution. So let's turn our Bibles to Acts 16. Acts chapter 16 to look at another instance of this. And we're going to be in Acts 16 for a minute. But before we read the verses, as always, I want to give a little bit of background. So in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're on a missionary journey. They're preaching the gospel from place to place, planting churches. And uh, they, they go to a city called Philippi. They go to a city called Philippi. And there they encounter a slave girl, a slave girl who is demon-possessed. And her masters were making a lot of money off of her because she was, she was fortune-telling. Call me now for your free terrorism. Miss Cleo? Nobody? Does anybody? I feel like I, you know, something went off in my mind when I said that. I was like, wait, this crowd, for the most part, is probably too young to understand that reference. How many of you guys remember Miss Cleo? <laughs> Man, okay. Keep, keep your hand. I, I, want, I, I need to do this. I need to do this. So keep your hand up if you remember Miss Cleo. Raise it high. How many of you were born in the 80s? Okay. Yeah, three of us. What, were you born in the 70s? 90s? You're a 90s baby? Yeah, that mustache, you know, it makes you a man. <laughs> man, you, you, you got a push broom underneath your nose, man. That's, that's glorious. Anyway, sorry, Miss, Miss Cleo was a fortune teller. She, it was like, I have to explain it now. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, which is a lot of you, so Miss Cleo was this, uh, she used to read tarot cards, and she would always, like her commercials would always come on like at 2, 3 in the morning uh, because nobody during the day is going to call Miss Cleo to get their fortune told. She, she wasn't Jamaican either, but she had this Jamaican accent. She, she would say, call me now for your free tarot card reading. And so... People would call in, and it would just be like, anyway, that's who Miss Cleo was. It was like a, like a, 
a phone number you would call, you know, people, people, suckers would call and be like, please tell me my future, you know, it's, it was a scam. Anyway, that's Miss Cleo. So this girl, she's, uh, she has a, she's demon-possessed. Miss Cleo wasn't demon-possessed. She was just trying to make some money. Uh, but this little girl, this slave girl, she's demon-possessed, and she's making money for her masters because she's telling people's fortunes. And so this girl, when they got to Philippi, when Paul and Silas, let's get back to it. I have to remind myself what we were talking about. Paul and Silas were in Philippi, and um, this girl was following Paul and Silas around, and she was shouting that, you know, these are bond servants of the Lord, and they're, they're proclaiming the salvation of the Lord, you know, which, I mean, doesn't seem like a bad thing, right? Like, you know, this, that's what Paul and Silas were doing. They're proclaiming the salvation. They're, they're servants of the Lord. And so this girl's just saying what they are. But the Bible says that she was following them around and shouting these things for days, for days, she was just following, these are servants of the Lord, they're proclaiming salvation, these are servants of the Lord. So basically bothering them, annoying them, the, the scripture says that Paul got annoyed. Uh, so he gets annoyed and then he commands the demon that's inside of her to come out. And then it does. Praise the Lord. You know, she was set free from her demon possession. However, now her masters, they just lost her pay, their paycheck. They lost their paycheck. So let's read what happens in Acts chapter 16, verses 19 through 24. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they lost their paycheck, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. FYI, Paul was a Roman too. More on that later. Verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them. They tore Paul and Silas's robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with the blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they had some pretty harsh treatment. In these verses, in Acts chapter 16, we don't read any indication that Paul and Silas protested. We don't read any indication that Paul and Silas fought against the human institution. We read that they were beaten and imprisoned for no crime other than casting a demon out of a slave girl and proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah Savior. They submitted to the human institution for the Lord's sake and for the Lord's will. And it truly was for the Lord's sake and for the will of the Lord because of what happens after they submitted themselves to the human institution, after they were beaten and imprisoned. So let's read about that in verses 25 through 34. It says, But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke... And saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He filled his duty. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So what happened as a result of this submission to the human institution? The righteous lives of Paul and Silas were witnessed by this jailer. And then an opportunity came for Paul and Silas to do the right thing, and they did. Let me, let me read again what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. You don't have to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to the governors that sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. They could have taken advantage of the situation, and they could have escaped from the jail after the earthquake. The Bible says that everybody's chains were unfastened, so everybody could have just walked out of that jail. And the jailer was passed out, because it says that when he woke up, he's like looking around, he's like, oh man, everybody left. They could have done that. But no, they submitted themselves for the Lord's sake, and in pursuit of the will of God, they did the right thing to silence the ignorance of a foolish man this man being the jailer. And the jailer, after seeing Paul and Silas praying and singing praises to God, even after getting beaten and imprisoned, after seeing Paul and Silas not run away when they had the opportunity to do so, after seeing Paul and Silas be submissive to the human institution, the jailer gives his life to Christ, him and his household. All because Paul and Silas submitted themselves to a human institution that was unjust by arresting them and beating them the way that they did. But let's continue reading Acts chapter 16 to get another angle of this topic of our relationship with our human institution. So let's read, uh, let's continue reading chapter 16. Let's start in verse 35. It says, now when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison, entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So another angle of this topic of our relationship with this human institution, and it's this. This is, this is the angle. Paul asserted his own rights as a Roman citizen and called out the human institution for failing to uphold the rights that were his as a Roman citizen. It's interesting. And this fact, and this fact, like many other things in our faith, the fact that Paul submitted to the human institution, but then at the same time called out the human institution for not upholding his rights, this thing like many other things in our faith, necessitates the need for wisdom and balance as we navigate these waters. 
But before we begin to get deeper into these waters, let's, let's take a look at some other verses that give us some more insight into this relationship between us as Christians and our human institutions. So let's go to Acts 22, Acts chapter 22. And as you turn there, uh, I want to give some background. As per usual, there is chaos surrounding Paul. There's always chaos surrounding Paul because he's preaching the gospel. And he's in Jerusalem after having preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And he gets snatched up by the Jews who don't believe in Jesus. They're angry with him. They're upset because he's preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the city turns into a violent circus. It goes crazy. The whole city goes crazy. People start beating up Paul. And uh, eventually the Roman commander and the soldiers of that area, they go to where the chaos is taking place because they hear like, oh, there's chaos going on in Jerusalem. We need to go and make sure that this stuff gets handled. But when they get there, they can't figure out what's going on because there's chaos. There's just chaos everywhere. So the Roman commander decides to take Paul into their private quarters just to try to figure out what's going on. But before they can do that, before they have Paul, before they take him to their private quarters, Paul's like, hey, let me address the people real quick. And so I'm like, okay, go ahead. So Paul makes a, he gives a speech. He's describing his ministry, how he was, he was a Pharisee, and now he's preaching the gospel. And because the Jews have decided to reject their Messiah, God has sent him to the Gentiles to preach Jesus Christ. And this makes everybody get all crazy again. Everybody gets outraged because he said these things. So let's read about that. Let's start Acts 22, and we're going to start in verse 22. And so they, being the Jews, they listened to him, Paul. So they listened to Paul up to this statement. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging, by getting whipped. He should be examined by getting whipped so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against Paul this way. But when they stretched him out with thongs, Paul was stretched out, ready to get beaten. Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, What are you about to do, for this man is a Roman? And the commander came and said to Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman? And Paul said, Yes. And the commander answered, the commander answered I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to examine him, those who were about to beat him, uh, that's, that's a nice way of putting it. Those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him. And the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman and because he had put him in chains. So once again, we have Paul asserting and invoking his rights as a Roman citizen. In contrast, in Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul being beaten and jailed without a trial, and he chose to take that without invoking his rights as a Roman citizen. But here in Acts 22, we read that before they even crack the whip on him, he lets them know that they're about to make a huge mistake by scourging a Roman citizen without following the proper protocol to find out whether or not he's actually even worthy of being whipped. And in Acts 25, you don't need to turn there, we have another instance of Paul asserting his rights as a Roman citizen. You know, he's refusing to bow down to the Jews um, because he's standing before another Roman governor not in Rome, but the Jews, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, they're like, hey, 
Roman, Roman governor, like, we're cool with you. Bring Paul to Jerusalem and hear his case in Jerusalem. The reason that they were saying that is they had a plot to kill Paul. So, so they're thinking, let's get Paul to Jerusalem so we can kill him. But, you know, they're trying to ask a favor from the, from the governor of, 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 this, of this place. And he's like, hey, just bring Paul and hear his case in Jerusalem. But Paul knew. He knew what was going on. He was like, you know what? I'm done dealing with this. I appeal my case to, to Caesar. So basically he's like, I, I'm, I appeal my case as a Roman citizen to the highest court. I'm not, I'm not going to bother with Jerusalem. You're, if you're not going to do your job, then put me in front of Caesar and I'll plead my case in front of Caesar. And then his appeal was granted because he was a Roman citizen. So Paul was asserting his rights as a Roman citizen. So what do we make of all of these scriptures? What do we make of all of this? All of these verses on, and how do we apply these things to our lives? Because this, this is, for me, this is a big thing right now, especially right now. Because we have human institutions that are over us, but we also have rights. We have rights that according to our constitution are not given to us by our government. These rights are given to us by God. We have inalienable rights that have been given to us by our creator. The government does not give us these rights. So the basic quick answer is that we obey and adhere to our human institutions and our governing authorities so long as they are not requiring us to do something that goes against God's word or biblical principles. That's the, that's the, that's the simplest way that you can answer this question. If the governing authorities say that you must stop at a red light, if they say that we have to have a specific number of exits and fire alarms in this building, if they say that our noise level after a certain time has to be below a certain decibel level, then we are to submit ourselves to these human institutions. But if they say that we cannot gather together as believers, if they say that we must change how we teach the Bible or which portions of the Bible to teach, if they say that we must welcome certain people and not welcome other people, then we are not to submit to that human institution. They are trying to take the place of God and compel us to do something that goes against what we know to be true in the Bible. But as I just stated, we live in a country where our founding document states that our rights are given to us by God. We are free people and the government exists not to let us know what our rights are, but to ensure that our rights are protected. They're doing a horrible job of it right now. We live in a very unique time and in a very unique country in that a country like ours has never really existed before. A country like ours has never really existed before. There have been shades and prototypes of our, of our form of government throughout history but never anything like what our founding fathers created because what they did is they, they, they took all the good stuff. They were smart guys. They took all the good stuff from all these other, other civilizations and they brought it all together to create our United States. So for those of us who are American citizens, we have certain rights that we can assert in our dealings with the human institution that is over us. But we need to make sure that we are doing this in a way that is for the Lord's sake and for the Lord's will. Going back to what Peter writes, which that's supposed to be the heart behind our submission to the human institution. We cannot assert our rights as Americans 
in a way that goes against God's word. For example, the human institution may say that murdering a baby while it's in the mother's womb is perfectly legal. But we can assert our rights as American citizens to speak out against that and proclaim that to be immoral and wrong. We can peacefully protest, we can march, we can publicly speak to people on public property, we can address our representatives and let them know how we feel about that. That would be a good way of asserting your rights as an American citizen. A bad way of asserting your rights is, 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 is to protest against the murder of the unborn children by planting a bomb at an abortion clinic. That is not the right way to do it. That is wrong, that is immoral, that is attempted murder, that is murder, that is vandalism, that's a bunch of things that we ought not to do. Another example, the human institution may say that you must segregate people, that you must show preference to a specific class of people, but we can choose not to adhere to that, not to show preference by refusing to submit to those laws. Like back in the 60s, when it was legal to discriminate. Segregation was legal for the people who had a little more melanin than others. And that's why MLK and others marched. They, they fought and they protested against these laws of segregation. There is no preference with God. That is a biblical principle. We are all equally sinners. We are all equally loved. And we all equally have a need to repent and believe the gospel. And God help us because people are beginning to segregate again. People are beginning to be okay with segregation once again, except this time it's on the basis of your, your medical history. History repeats itself. If you guys didn't know, history repeats itself. But what I'm trying to communicate through all of this is that we indeed are to submit to our human institutions. Even to, the, even to our detriment, even to our detriment, as we saw in Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. And Peter talks about this in our next point, uh, suffering because of, of submission. We'll get to that. But in Romans 13, another verse that talks about this, it says that we are to be in subjection to our governing authorities because government has been established by God. It's kind of a necessary evil. But Romans 13 also says that rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister, government, it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, then be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing meaning it doesn't have the power to punish. Government doesn't have the power to punish for nothing, for it is a minister of God. So if you do good, if you do the right thing, you don't have anything to worry about in regards to the governing authorities. But if you do what is evil, then be afraid. Be afraid. But what about, what about when the governing authority is the one that has turned evil? The one that was supposed to punish the evil is now the source of it. What then? Well, here's a quick guide, and I hope this helps. It's kind of a repeat of something I already said. Don't submit to the things that are clearly evil. Submit to the things 
that are clearly good or neutral and exercise wisdom and maturity for those things that are kind of a gray area. The fact is there will be gray areas. There are gray areas in our walks. Gray areas exist in some areas of our faith and, and, and this is one of them. One gray area of our faith, maybe not so much a gray area, but just kind of one of those things where we have liberty. I talked about it a few, few weeks ago, this, this, this thing of alcohol, of alcohol consumption. The Bible doesn't say drinking is a sin. The Bible says being drunk is a sin. It tells us to be sober. But it takes wisdom and maturity to be able to, to, take, to, to use that liberty. It takes maturity. For a lot of people, when they hear that, they'll take that because they're not mature enough to handle the responsibility of that liberty, and they'll be like, ooh, let me drink a little bit. Let me drink a little more. I'm not going to get drunk. I'll drink some more. Before they know it, they're drunk and they have no idea what's going on, they can't control themselves, all of these things. There are things in the faith, we have liberties, but you need to be mature and exercise wisdom to be able to partake in those liberties. Because if you don't have that wisdom and maturity, then it's better off you just err on the side of caution and don't even bother. If you can't handle that, that maturity, don't even bother. If you can't handle a gun, don't bother buying a gun. Like Spider-Man with great responsibility. No, the other one. With great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man. It's great wisdom in that. It's a biblical principle. But yeah, gray areas. And just like all these gray areas in our faith, like I said, you have to exercise wisdom and maturity. We have liberty in Christ. We really do. But we are to exercise our liberties for the benefit of others. To serve others. Not ourselves. I want to be careful because the Bible says that as a teacher, me as a teacher, uh, I'll be held to a stricter standard than you guys who aren't teachers. I'm going to be held to a stricter standard. James even warns, the book of James even says, like, don't, don't be a teacher because you're going to be held to a stricter standard. <laughs> so I, I wish I would have read that before I came on staff. But anyway, so I want to be careful with what I say. If you find that a government policy is evil, if you, if you, if you find that a specific government policy is evil or has evil roots or has evil implications, then I would dare say that we as believers are not obligated to submit to such policies. And you must be prepared to deal with the consequences of that decision. However, all of the reasoning and the argumentation that you use to determine if something is evil or can lead to evil must be centered around the word of God and biblical principles, not because oh, I just don't feel like it. Why don't you want to follow the speed limit? Because it's forcing me to go slower. It's quenching the spirit. The spirit wants me to go faster. You'd be hard-pressed to find solid ground for that. I don't think there's, there's really no verses in the Bible that talk about not following speed limits in order to, be, to, 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 to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Follow the speed limit, as hard as it is. But there are things that, like Paul, that we can assert our rights so long as we can make an argument in a godly way and continue to be good representatives of Christ. You can assert your rights as an American the same way that Paul asserted his rights as a Roman. 
but you can still bear fruit. You can still bear the fruit of the Spirit as you do it. You don't have to behave arrogantly or proudly. You can still be humble and kind and gentle and loving. But be sure that you're motivated by God and his word and not by pride. That's something that even everybody but myself, that's something I need to check myself on. Why am I against this specific thing? Is there a godly reason or is it pride? I've seen people, you know, they'll they'll zealously protest against masks, right? They're all for it. As soon as you start talking about masks, have whatever opinions you want about these things. I have my own. I'm not making making a a determination in either direction. I'm just saying people will go out there and be like, yeah, no masks. This is unconstitutional. But I wonder how many of those people would have that same zeal and vigor to protest against the murder of unborn babies. So what's motivating you? What's motivating you? We are Christians before we are Americans. I just want to make sure that's clear. We are Christians before we are Americans. And many people will hear that, that statement, and they'll be like, yeah, amen. The place that they're coming from is, is they're, they're saying that like being a patriot is idolatry. Like loving the country that you live in is idolatry. And that's not how I mean it. Because I guarantee you that if a Christian in Cuba or North Korea had the opportunity to come to this country and live here instead of where they live, they would take it in a heartbeat because of the freedoms that still exist here. It's okay to love the place that you live. It's okay. So we can be patriotic. We can love this country, but we must never forget that we are Christians before we are Americans. So that is what, that's what determines our behavior, the fact that we're Christians, not that we're Americans. Does this all make sense? I hope this makes sense. I, re- I really do, because, I mean, when I was pouring over these verses, I was just, I was praying so much because, like, man, I, like, I have my own thoughts about these kinds of things, and I just want to make sure that I'm presenting the Bible accurately without inserting my own thoughts and opinions because believe me, I have many. If you ask my wife, I have many, and she checks me on it, you know? Thankfully, I don't like it sometimes, but like she, she's right a lot of the time. Because man, does a man have pride? Ladies, just understand that if, if you're not married, that man's gonna have pride. As humble as he seems, and as humble as he actually is, for sure, but over time, man, that man will have pride. So be patient, be patient. But y- y'all got problems too. So. <laughs> Who said, no, don't, don't take credit for that amen, whoever said it. Just, just now this is the time to hide. <laughs> don't, don't, don't make that public. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to be careful. I wanted to be careful because I want to make sure that we are, that we're following the Bible that we're being Christians before we're, you know, we're, we're being Americans. But back to 1 Peter chapter 2. So in verse 16 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, he says, act like free people. Only don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Meaning, like we just talked about, don't use your freedom to try to make an argument that you don't need to obey the speed limit. That's not how it works. 
You have the freedom to disobey the speed limit for sure, but, and you may face the consequences, you may not. You may, get a, you may get a speeding ticket, you may not. But do not use your freedom in Christ as a way to justify that disobedience. I'm a citizen of heaven. I don't need to follow these laws. Come on. Instead, use your freedom as a way to serve others. Use your freedom as a way to serve others. Paul had that liberty and freedom to make an argument for not getting beaten in Acts chapter 16. But he chose to use his freedom to serve. As a free man, he chose to get beaten and he chose to get jailed without saying anything. And it turned out for the benefit of the jailer and his family who got saved. The mark of a truly free person is someone who will gladly forfeit his or her freedom for the spiritual benefit of others. That's a true mark of freedom. If you are truly free, you will gladly forfeit your freedom for the spiritual benefit of others. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talked about forfeiting his freedom to eat meat for the purpose of those believers who would stumble at the act of him eating meat. Now, the reason that they had an issue with the meat eating wasn't that they were vegan. That, that wasn't it. But the, the problem that they had with the meat was that the meat was sacrificed to idols by pagan worshipers. And Paul knew, he even says it, like he knew that nothing was actually wrong with the meat. Like, sure, it was sacrificed to an idol, but idols aren't really a thing. The meat is fine. I can eat the meat and it's not a problem. But some believers were having a hard time with detaching the meat from the idol because they came from that life of sacrificing these things to idols. Because, so for them, it was evil meat. It was meat that was sacrificed to an idol. This is evil meat. So Paul said, if meat causes my brother to stumble, then I'll never eat meat again. He used his freedom to serve others. He had the freedom to eat the meat, but he used his freedom not to for the, pur for the purpose of serving his brothers. But it's a decision that we as believers, we each need to make that decision on our own. And we need to do it willingly. There's, you can't be compelled to do it, which is kind of what you see right now in, 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 in culture right now. Right? People are, are kind of being bullied into serving others. People are made to feel bad if you're not doing the right thing. That's not how it is with Christ. Christians, we, we ought to do these things willingly. We have to do these things willingly. We can't be forced to do these things, but it's a sign of maturity to do these things. And in verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, to honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor all people and the king. So though we may disagree with people about certain topics, and we may disagree with a political leader, we are as believers to honor them still. We are to honor them. We ought to pray for our leaders and for those who are opposed to us because these people, they're going to stand before God and they're going to face judgment. And when they stand before God, apart from Christ, they're going to go to hell. So we should pray for these people. We should pray for our, our people in government, our president, our vice president. All of these people, we should be praying for them because Based on their behavior, they don't know Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. Jesus came to die for them too. He came to die for them too. Their sin is not greater than yours. It really isn't. So we should pray for these people and keep our behavior holy and godly so that, as, as we went over last week, we're not a cause for them to scoff at Christ. 
Rather, we're a cause for them to glorify God when they look at our behavior, when they have their own encounter with God. And all of this brings us to our second and last point, to the master, to the master, submit to the master. So let's read verses 18 through 20 in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So Peter begins verse 18 by talking about slaves and masters. Now, of course, here in this country, we don't have the slave-master relationship, the servant-master relationship that existed in these days. But what we do have is the employer-employee relationship, which closely resembles that. Some of y'all are like, you know, my boss is a slave, you know, is a slave driver. But yeah, that's what we have, employees and employers. So for those of you who have jobs or any kind of relationship where you are providing service or work for somebody who is in a position of authority, uh, be submissive with all respect. Be submissive with all respect. Place yourself under them, in subjection to them, and do what they are commanding, expecting, and demanding you to do as long as it is not against God and his word. When I first got saved, I was, I was working at a coffee shop, and uh, working at a coffee shop is really fun. It's a really fun job. For those of you who have worked at a coffee shop, you know what I'm talking about. Working at a coffee shop is super fun. Uh, but it's not just making drinks and talking to people. You know, working at a coffee shop, dishes need to get done. Drains need to be deep cleaned. Toilets need to get scrubbed. And when, when my boss would ask me, you know, to do these things, I would do it. Gladly. I would do it gladly. Because not only was I to be submissive to my employer, to my master. But in Colossians 3.23, it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. As Christians, our work ethic is supposed to be different. Our work ethic is supposed to be way better than everybody else's work ethic. We're not like the others who try to do the least amount of work that will keep us out of trouble. Like, what's the, what's the least amount of work that I can do so that I don't get in trouble, but I can still collect my check? That's not how we're supposed to be. We're to do our work as if we're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was making lattes, I was making them as if Jesus was waiting at the end of the bar for that latte. Those are some delicious lattes. When I was washing dishes, I was washing them as if Jesus was going to be eating off of these plates. When I was cleaning that toilet, I was cleaning it so that Jesus would feel honored to sit down on that throne. So I, I, was, I wasn't doing just enough to make it seem like I was doing a great job. I was actually doing a great job because I was doing my work as though I was doing it for Jesus because that's what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to do our job as if we're doing it for the Lord. So we are to submit to our earthly masters, and we are to submit to them even if they're harsh and unreasonable. 
How many of you guys have a harsh and unreasonable boss? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys have a harsh and unreasonable boss? Just think it in your head. Even if they treat us unfairly, even if your boss treats you unfairly, we are to submit to their authority and do our work for them as if we are doing our work for Jesus, no matter what. And why should we do this? Because of what Peter writes in verses 19 and 20. And I'll read it again, but I'll read it out of the New Living Translation. It says, For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. It pleases God when you are conscious of his will and endure unjust treatment. How is that? Well, because in enduring unjust treatment, others are watching you to see how the Christian is going to respond to this. And when you respond just like them, complaining, demanding you be treated better, slandering your boss behind their back to your coworkers, this does nothing for your witness and this does nothing for their perception of Christ. It harms it, actually. It doesn't do nothing. It actually harms your witness and it harms their perception of Jesus Christ. But when you endure these things, Endure these things with joy, with the joy of the Lord. That's different. That's different. That captures attention. And that leads people to wonder why you're able to do that or why you would do that. And of course, the answer is Jesus. That can lead people to responding to the gospel because of how you endured unjust treatment. And we saw a perfect example of this in Acts chapter 16, right, with Paul and Silas. They endured unjust treatment with the joy of the Lord. They still praised God. They were singing songs of praise to him while they were in the jail cell. And this resulted in the jailer believing in Jesus. Are you, or maybe, maybe some of you are the type where the thought of starting a conversation with somebody about Jesus, like a cold conversation, like it freaks you out. Because I know, I know there are people like that where it's like, I can't just go up to somebody and just start talking about Jesus. Well, maybe you need to endure some unjust treatment. Maybe you need to ask the Lord for some unjust treatment. Because when you endure the unjust treatment with the joy of the Lord, you know, maybe somebody will come and be like, why don't you ever say anything to our supervisor? Like, he acts like such a, with you. Like, why don't you ever say anything? Because I'm a Christian. Because I'm a Christian. The Bible says that I'm supposed to submit to my boss. And it's the least I can do because of what Jesus has done for me, dying for my sins on the cross. You're not, you don't feel comfortable just starting up a conversation? Well, tonight, pray for, for some unjust treatment so that you can endure it with joy and maybe somebody can come up to you and just be like, dude, why don't you ever say anything? And then you can tell them why, because of Jesus and what he's done. But be sure that be sure that you never find yourself suffering because of something that you've done wrong. <laughs> you hear it sometimes. People, people complain. You know, they complain about their boss because uh, they're always hassling me for no reason. I don't ever do anything. And they're always just hassling me. But then you find out that they're always late or they don't do their job the way that they're supposed to. 
They're never listening, always on their phone. Always, there's, just, there's just many reasons for them to get hassled. I knew this brother. I had this, uh, this brother in the Lord at one of my previous jobs, and it seemed like he was always getting chewed out by the boss, by the bosses. It just always seemed like there was always something. There's always something. And he would, he would communicate it that way. He's like, he's like I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, they just, I just can never do anything right. They're just, I think they're out to get me. And it really did seem that way, I'm telling you. It, was like, it seemed like there was no reason for him to be always getting harassed. But then I got promoted to a supervisor position. And it turned out that he was pretty consistently doing things that were worthy of getting spoken to. He was doing a lot of things that were not okay. Or at the very least, he did a lot of things that were questionable. And additionally, he, he just straight up, like I said, was just doing things plain old wrong. Like he was, just, they tell him to do something a certain way and he does it the complete opposite. So he was like, wow, oh, they're always hassling me. I don't do anything wrong. It's persecution, spiritual warfare. You need to do a better job. You know, so don't automatically assume that if you're being treated, quote, unfairly, that you're 100% innocent. You know, examine yourself and honestly assess, honestly assess if, you have, if you've done anything worthy of reprimand or of or punishment. And if you have, just repent, 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 and move on to doing your work as if you're doing it for the Lord, because that's what we're commanded to do. Peter says in verse 20, he says, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. Like, what credit is there for you? You're, you're basically getting what you deserve. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So what finds favor with God is when you're doing the right thing and you still end up suffering for it. Because ultimately, that's Jesus. Ultimately, that's, that's the story of Christ, suffering unjustly. He came into this world, he did everything right, he followed the law, lived perfectly, without sin. He was tempted and suffered, and he, he, he suffered the temptations and the weaknesses that we have as human beings, yet he was without sin. But even though he was perfect and holy and righteous, he still suffered a sinner's death by dying on the cross. He suffered unjustly. He did what was right and still suffered, and he patiently endured it. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And what was the joy that was set before him? He knew that what he was doing was going to result in sinners being reconciled to God the Father. And that when he rose again, he would take his seat on the throne of the universe. And we should have this same joy set before us. We should have the same joy set before us. Not that we're going to be sitting on a heavenly throne, but that our endurance as we suffer unjustly will result in the reconciliation of sinners to their heavenly father. God can use our suffering to bring people to himself. And I can say this with confidence because that's exactly what he did for us. That's how he brought us to himself through the suffering of Christ. God will bring people to himself through suffering. It's a good vehicle. So the point of our message tonight, I said a lot of stuff, but the point of our message tonight is to be submissive to our human institutions and to our earthly masters, 
even if it means we're going to suffer unjustly. And while we do have the freedom to assert our rights and we do have ultimate freedom in Christ, ultimately, we are never more like our Lord and Savior than when we suffer unjustly. And this brings favor with God. At the end of the day, our motivation should be God, the gospel, the word, our faith. That should be our motivation. Just know that we're all going to stand before God. If you're a believer, you're still going to stand before God and face judgment, except you're going to face judgment for your behavior, your deeds. What did you do? How did you suffer? So if you're in here and you're struggling with this idea of submission, submission to the human institutions, the governing authorities, submission to your boss, submission to those who have been placed in authority over you, even here at church. I mean, in the church, there is a structure of authority that is laid out in the Bible. Maybe you're having an issue with me. I don't know. Pray, get some prayer, get some prayer. Our leaders are gonna be in the back and um, so just work that out with the Lord. Work that out with the Lord. Seek him in his word and gain that wisdom from spending time with him because we are to submit even though we do have liberties. But it's, a, it's an interesting dance, these, these two things. But um, praise the Lord that regardless, we're going to be in heaven and uh, one day all this is going to be over. So uh, let's pray. And after we pray, we'll just get back into the fellowship. We're not going to have closing worship this uh, tonight. Just start fellowshipping, pray, and, and, you know, holler at people. Get to know people. All right, let's pray.